Well, good morning, OneChurch.tv. What's up? My name is Carlo. I get to serve as one of the teaching pastors here at One Church. Again, just want to echo Justin. Welcome if you're here for the first time, first time in a long time, watching over in the video venue, watching online. We're so glad that you're connecting with us this morning. We're going to wrap up our At The Movies 2017 series. We've learned a lot over the past few weeks, and you can go to OneChurch.tv and recap if you missed any of those messages. We learned through the movie Hacksaw Ridge and through the story of Joseph as found in the book of Exodus. We learned that we find our lives when we lay them down. We learned about sacrifice. And then we, we moved on and we learned from the movie Moana in 1 John 4 that we are to love selflessly and not love and not love instead of fearing selfishly. So it's all about giving away ourselves, getting outside of our bubble. And then last week through the shack and Matthew 9, we were reminded that God is too wise uh, to be mistaken and he's too good to be unkind. And so when we can't see what God's doing, where God's going, we can always trust him. We can trust his heart. Today we're going to be in the New Testament. We're going to start off in Matthew 28, and we're going to look at the blockbuster movie Guardians of the Galaxy and the great mission that Jesus has given us. And so for those of you who are like, uh, really, you take your comic book, your Marvel Universe serious, we are talking about both Guardians of the Galaxy movies. So relax. When I say Guardians of the Galaxy, I mean both, part one and part two. Um, that we're going to go through, because we're really talking more about the Guardians themselves than the movie. Uh, what is Guardians of the Galaxy all about? Essentially, you have this group of criminals, this group of outcasts, uh, who'd each gone through their own individual pain, their own individual uh, circumstances, and for whatever reason, they come together, and they band together, and they accomplish uh, a great, great task. In fact, they start off hating each other. They start off really not liking each other, having nothing in common except for their shady past. And in the end, they end up saving everything. So there's the spoiler alert. If you haven't seen it already, get with it. I can't be responsible for you who haven't seen Guardians of the Galaxy 1. They made a part two, so you should know they survive and save something in part one. I mean, come on. Hollywood is not that original, right? It's the, the Avengers, whatever you're watching, that's basically the storyline. Bunch of people hate each other, have things different. They come together, save the universe, then they make part two, and we go watch part two. Same thing happens with some different music, then they make part three, and so on and so forth. And we eat it up, and we love it. Anyway, you guys will be watching Infinity War like you don't know what's going to happen, right? Someone's going to save some stuff. Someone we love is going to die. That, that's, that's the plan. But anyway, <laughs> great movies. We love them, and we're going to watch them over and over and over again. When I think about Guardians of the Galaxy, it does remind me about a lot of our stories and how we ended up in this church. A lot of us outcasts, a lot of us misfits, a lot of us uh, maybe not loved, maybe not treated well where we were. We saw that in the baptism video today uh, that Cindy shot. And uh, that's kind of a God thing to me because this message was written long before she shot that baptism video. Um, and so I just think that's really powerful. Many of us who are here who come from other church backgrounds, diverse backgrounds, there's a reason that we are here and not there. Some of us who are far from God or we didn't have anything to do with the church and now we're giving church a try. There's a reason for all of that. And I think as we unpack this mission today, as we get into this message, we'll see what it is that really brings us all together. So we'll be in Matthew 28. And we're going to dig into uh, that, Matthew 28, and dig into uh, how, how this kind of plays with Guardians of the Galaxy in just a little bit. Anybody, any of you remember the Mission Impossible movies with Tom Cruise? Any of you guys watch those, those movies? Or if you're really old school, you remember the Mission Impossible TV show? I'm not that old school, so I don't. All I know about it is because of what TV Land told me, what reruns told me. Um, you know, some of y'all 
you, you know, you grew up watching that. It's all good, right? We're a multi-generational church, <laughs> so we got love for you. But well, what's cool about Mission Impossible, and I love, by the way, those type of action adventure where it just seems like there's no way this person is going to survive this. You know, movies like John Wick, like The Accountant, like there's no way this dude is going to beat up. Oh, yeah, he just did it. Like, whoa. I love those kind of story storylines. In Mission Impossible, the, the special agent would get a package delivered to them, and they'd open it up and press play on a recording, and the recording would say, okay, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to board this plane that's taking off to Hong Kong, and while the plane is in the air, you have to find the virus under the seat, and we're not going to tell you which seat, but you have to find the virus, and you have to keep the virus from going off and killing the people, keep the terrorists from blowing up the plane, make out with a couple of flight attendants while you're up there, bring me back a cherry Coke from the plane, because plain cherry Coke tastes better than on the ground cherry Coke, and should you choose to accept this mission, you know, you're, you're going to accomplish great things. And this message is going to self-destruct in 10 seconds, right? That's Mission Impossible. And the thing would burn up, and then they'd go off and do the adventure. And I'd love it, edge of my seat, watching them accomplish this. And most of the time, they accomplished some version of this. I was talking with someone just out in, in the hallway, Ray. He said, you know, the cool thing is they'd spend more time looking for that cherry Coke than they would everything else. Like, that'd be the hilarious part of the story, is that's the one thing they couldn't. They can do everything else but the simple task they couldn't accomplish. I love those type of stories. Uh, In the 80s, I grew up watching a TV show called MacGyver. You guys remember MacGyver? Love MacGyver, right? MacGyver could make a 50-cal machine gun out of, like, a box of jelly donuts and some rubber cement, you know, and some staples and, like, take on a whole town, you know. just love. A couple months ago, I told you about my love for the A-team, right? They would do the same thing. You know, you got a drill, you got a water hose, we're going to make some C4. I don't know how they would do that, but the A-team would do it. Impossible missions, and they would accomplish them. And it's, it's funny, we're drawn to these larger-than-life characters uh, that can in- accomplish impossible things. And I think, as Christ followers, a lot of times we lose sight of that we're also called to do something that on our own is impossible. But with God, we know that we could do it. In Gardens of the Galaxy, we see this ragtag group of people, misfits coming together with a single purpose, and they accomplish it. It's fascinating. In, in the Guardians of the Galaxy, the, the main characters you have are Peter Quill, a.k.a. Star-Lord. He's kind of their fearless leader. He's got some mommy issues and some daddy issues, and he's, he's got a love affair with a cassette player, and, you know, he's got his, his own issues and deal. He's got a lot of ego. Um, but ultimately, he's, he's a good guy, wants to win. There's Gamora. She's a professional assassin, a bringer of violence uh, and death. She also has some daddy issues that she's trying to resolve from her past. She's a criminal, wanted. And there's Drax the Destroyer. Someone asked me who my favorite character was from Guardians of the Galaxy. Drax is the big muscular guy there uh, looking all pensive in that picture. Uh, see, Drax is about as smart as a box of rocks, so he's not my favorite character because he's just dumb, right? But he, he, he's a big guy, destroys, he's dumb. My favorite is Groot, or Baby Groot, who causes trouble and saves the day at the same time. That's kind of maybe what I would want on my headstone. He caused trouble and saved the day at the same time. I think that def- that really sums up, those of you who know me well, know, yep, that's him. Um, I love Groot's character. Uh, and then, of course, there's the sarcastic and always inventive uh, rocket uh, in there. Th- this group, they're simultaneously a hot mess, and they're the hope of the world at the same time. They're a hot mess, and they're the hope of the world. And if that does not define what the church should be, I don't know what, what does. A hot mess and the hope of the world. Whether you watch part one or whether you watch part two, I think you'll find this powerful theme, and it's our big idea today, and it's this. Misfits together on mission accomplish more. 
misfits together on mission accomplish more. What I love about the church, especially one church, is that we are a bunch of misfits brought together to accomplish one thing. When we say yes to Jesus, we say yes to a new mission, a new life that's not about us. There's some things we have to do as we're going along, as we're living life. There's some things God calls us to do, and it's an awesome privilege that we get to do it. And if we don't pay attention to that, if we don't, if we don't study and learn what that thing is, church can become really inward. It could become about the wrong thing, uh, and we don't want to do that. The Bible is full of underdogs who accomplish great things, that on the surface look impossible, but the Bible tells us time and time again what's impossible for man is absolutely possible for God. One of the greatest examples of that is found in the 12 apostles. The 12 apostles. These were the 12 uh, disciples hand-chosen by Jesus to follow him. None of them had the qualifications. They weren't on the seminary track, to use modern-day language. They weren't professional Bible teachers. Each one of them just as different as the other, and yet these are the ones that Jesus chose to select. Most scholars will tell you most of these guys were under the age of 18. They were young men, hungry, and all they did was just say yes. And we know they changed the world. There's Peter. Peter is the rock. Peter is the the right-hand man. He's kind of the leader of the gang. There's James and John, the sons of thunder. They got that nickname because one day some group of people were doing some work in Jesus' name, and James and John said, man, we don't know those guys. Jesus, can we call down lightning to kill them? Because they're using your name without our permission. Like, that's how these guys were impulsive. Jesus told them no, by the way, if you didn't know that part of the story. He said, no, guys. He said, calm down. Whoever's whoever's not against us is with us, right? Uh, There's Andrew, the brother of Peter. Andrew was the first one we see to introduce someone else to Jesus. Andrew introduced his brother to Jesus. There's a guy named Bartholomew Nathaniel. Uh, He was known as the noble. There's James and Jude Thaddeus. They were the sons of Alphaeus. There was Matthew or Levi. He was the tax man. He wrote the gospel of Matthew. There's Philip. Philip was the first one to follow Jesus. And Simon the zealot. The zealots were uh, kind of a anti-Roman subculture. They were all about overthrowing the government with force. So I picture Simon kind of being like Drax the Destroyer with his hand always on his weapon, always ready to fight, kind of the enforcer. You had Doubting Thomas. Many of us are familiar with him. Doubting Thomas, the one who, after Jesus resurrected, he didn't want to believe that Jesus was alive. He was a pessimist. And of course, Judas, the traitor. It's the original 12. They replaced him later on, but we're not going to talk about that today. The original 12. This ragtag group of misfits we know as the 12 apostles, they literally changed the world, and it all started with this wild mission that they were given by Jesus. It all started with him telling them to go out and do something. And so we're going to spend some time looking at what that mission is. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. Now to kind of set the stage for this, they'd seen Jesus do miracles for over three years. They'd seen him raise the dead, walk on water, turn a little bit of food into a lot of food. They'd seen him stand up to authorities. Then they saw him arrested. They saw him beaten. They saw him crucified. They saw him die. He was put in a tomb. They went to the tomb. The tomb was empty. They were hiding and they were afraid. And then they saw him walk through a wall and say, what's up? Actually, he didn't say what's up, but he did say peace. He didn't throw the peace sign, but I just do that in my head. He said, peace, be still. So they saw him do miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. There were three of them saw him like 
turn into like this white angelic-like thing. I mean, all kinds of awesome things they saw Jesus do. They were witnesses, firsthand witnesses to that. For many, many days after Jesus rose from the dead, he walked around and he showed himself to people. I'm not, this is their story. They wrote it down. So this is what they're telling us happens. And then at the end, he gathers them together. And what I mean by the end, at the end of Jesus walking on this earth, before he ascends back to heaven, he gathers them together. And he says this to him, Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples, they left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you and be sure of this. I will be with you always to the end of the age. Matthew twenty-eight sixteen through 20. That's famously that passage is called the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Put yourself in the shoes of those apostles hearing that Great Commission and think about what that would have been like. Most people in this time frame, in this part of the world, the ancient Near East, they never traveled more than 30 or 40 miles beyond their place of birth. Why? They did not have cars, right? I don't know how many of you have walked 40 miles nonstop, but it's not fun. If you've walked 30 miles nonstop, it's not fun. If you ride horses and you've ridden a horse for 40 miles, it's not fun. Fun. That's hard traveling. So they didn't really travel a lot. And here this guy's telling them, you're going to go into the whole world. For us, it would be like thinking that the world ended just south of Nashville, right? Like there's nothing beyond South Nashville. That's all we know. And there's nothing north of Hopkinsville. Like that's it. That's what their world was like. They never traveled outside of that bubble. They didn't have cars, internet, iPhone. And I know all that is obvious, but we read this so many times with our 21st century eyes and forget how impossible that task would seem. We have technology and live streaming, and we're live streaming now, and we, we have all these ability to spread the gospel and teach people about Jesus just like that. We take it for granted, but they didn't have any of that edge, and they still accomplished the mission. They still got it done. So Jesus bookended this passage with two powerful statements that kind of give us a hint into how they accomplished this task, how they accomplished this task. And you might be here, you might be brand new to the church world, and you might say, hey, Carlo, how do you know they accomplished the task? Look to the left and look to the right of you. That's how I know they accomplished the task, because there's something called the church, right? We are here and we exist. So that's how we know they accomplished it. How did they get it done? Because we're sitting here right now still, all these years later. The first thing Jesus said is, all authority has been given to me, therefore go. It's like he said, by the power vested in me, I'm sending you out to go do this mission. Parents, how many times a week do you have a confrontation with one of your children where you say, hey, wash this dish, pick up this toy, and they ask, why? Now, some of y'all, if you came up in a house like I did, you don't even fix your mouth to say why when your parents tell you to do something. But that's for a different class. We'll do a parenting class, talk about that. But let's just say you're in one of them why houses, right? Your kid says, why? Well, how do we usually respond, mom and dad? We say, because I, because I said so. That's why. Why do I have to do it? Because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me in this house. Therefore, go and wash those dishes the way I told you to wash them, right? Here's how I know you're going to do what I'm telling you to do because I told you so. So when you look at this 
commission of Jesus. He starts it off with, listen, don't worry about how you're going to get it done. Don't worry about the time frame. Just know that since I'm telling you to get done, it will be done. Since I'm telling you to go do it, it's going to be, you're going in my authority. That makes sense? So all authority has been given to me. And then he, he ends it with an awesome statement. He says, and be sure of this, I'm going to be with you always, even until the end of the age. So not only does he say, I'm going to give you the power and equip you to go do it, the authority to go do it, I'm going to be with you every step of the way as you're doing it. I'm going to have your back. But you can't do it on your own. Because the things that overwhelm us, they're best taken on with the help of others. That's why he shared that commission in that setting. He'd been teaching them about unity. He'd been teaching them about the importance of coming together and loving one another. He said it by this, everyone's going to know you're my disciples by your love for one another. So he set them up for this, knowing that they're not going to be able to do it on their own because it'd be impossible on their own. It's an overwhelming task. Go into the whole world, teach them about you. Yes. So how did they accomplish the mission? We already know, spoiler alert, that they did accomplish the mission. Thank God for that, right? We know that they accomplished it. How did they accomplish it, and what does that mean for us? So let's look at this. The first thing they did is they looked outward. They looked outward. It's the best place to start when trying to do what Jesus tells us all to do. And again, if you're here and you've said yes to Jesus, then you're called to do this. How do I know that I'm supposed to be on this mission? I have to look outward. I have to start by looking outward. In Israel, there are two great bodies of water, one the Sea of Galilee, one the Dead Sea. One is full of life, full of fish, full of awesomeness. It's beautiful. The other is full of nothing but salt and toxin and poison. One is lush and beautiful, and the other is barren and desolate. And the primary difference between the two is up north in the Sea of Galilee, there are multiple streams that flow in and out of that body of water. But Only one real source dumps into this Dead Sea. The Dead Sea has no outlet. It's a closed system. It's inward. And so the salt content rises, the chemical content rises, and it can't sustain life because it has no outlet. It has nothing. Everything just dumps into it. It's a closed system. And closed systems are always going to lead to destruction. They're always going to lead to bad things. Anytime you live in that environment. Maybe you're not, you can't resonate with that example. Anyone remember Blockbuster Video? Yes, no? Some of y'all might have your Blockbuster card in your wallet still. They're not coming back, y'all. Relax. They're, they're gone. Cut the card up. Throw it away. Frame it. Blockbuster Video was, you just couldn't wait to go to Blockbuster on a Friday night, right? See what new releases were out. Blockbuster was the way to consume products. And then in the early 2000s, an upstart company came up and they started sending DVDs in the mail. You could like go and say, I want this one, and they sent it to you in the mail. Then you send it back and they'd send you another one in the mail. And that company, there was a brief moment where Blockbuster Video had the opportunity to buy that company. Super cheap. I don't know the exact number. I don't want to lie to you, but it wasn't really, in, in business sense, a lot of money. You're talking like $50, $60 million in a business venture. That's not a lot of money, really. And Blockbuster said, nope, we know movies better than anyone else knows movies. Our model works. People love coming to the video store. It's an event. People love doing that. They underestimated the power of the American introvert. We don't love going anywhere. You think I want to get in my car and go to a store and walk around people and look for movies and let people see what movies I'm getting? No, 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 no. I'd just rather stay at my house and click send that, right? Um, 
Blockbuster underestimated. They became a closed system. It was all about themselves. And then they tried to play catch-up, and it was too late. Blockbuster tried to get into the DVD to home, and it just never kicked up. And today, you know what you call a Blockbuster video, right? That's Kim's Hair Salon and Nails, right? That's, you know, that's a Chinese restaurant now. That's an Eero place, right? You know, they sell car stereos out of old Blockbuster videos. They're not around anymore. And Netflix, you know, is worth billions of dollars probably. What, what does that have to do with mission and closed system and looking inward or outward? When we look inward, when we make it all about ourselves, when we ignore the signs of the times, what's going on around us, the needs of others, it's never going to work for us. In church world, small group, whatever you're trying to do to Jesus, it's very easy to become salty and bitter and full of nothing life-giving when you focus on your own junk. When you start look with looking inward, it's very easy to get distracted on the great needs that are outside of us. In this room, we have a lot of needs. We have a lot of mess. And if we focus all our energy on here, it's very easy to forsake the people who are not yet here and not think about them. So that's why we want to do everything we could do at One Church to create environments for unchurched people to want to come. That's who we're thinking of first, not to the extent of every, not, not to the expense of everyone else, but we're thinking of the outsider first. In Guardians of the Galaxy, they have tons of conflict, internal conflict. They argue, they fight, they try to kill each other multiple times, but it always comes down to a choice for them. We can save ourselves or we can save the universe. We can save ourselves or we can save the universe. And they often choose, hey, we're going to save the universe. Instead, they looked outward. The main way we can lead people into a growing relationship with Christ is to look outward first. And Jesus emphasized this idea of looking outward in the five great commissions that we have. Now, that might have shocked some of you. You say, no, there's only one great commission in Matthew 28. Well, there's actually five. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call them the Gospels. They are four stories that all tell the same story. It's four stories about the life and teaching of Jesus from four perspectives to four different audiences. And when you put them together, you get a really awesome total picture of what Jesus did, his life, his teachings. And so it's not really holistic to just look at Matthew's Great Commission without looking at the rest and putting them together and seeing what this really, really means. So let's look at this. Matthew 28, verse 19. I read this already. Read it again. Then Jesus came to them and said, Therefore, go and make disciples. So we know that fulfilling this mission Jesus called us to involves going, that's outward, and making disciples. What's a disciple? A disciple is a student. Simple. A student of Jesus in this context. So go and teach these people who've said yes to me how to live for me and follow me. Some of us are intimidated by that because we think that means I got to go to Bible college and I have to have all this Bible knowledge. It really doesn't mean that. It's just teaching someone in the same way that you know how to obey Jesus and follow Jesus is teaching someone. It's not complicated. Here in our setup process in the theater, I, I have... I have kind of charge of one closet uh, where everything, I'm, I'm kind of a pack logistician and like to pack things in the way that I like to pack them in. And there's a couple people walking around here who are disciples of Carlo and how to pack that room. I know if I was away and didn't pack that room because everything won't fit in there, it'll be all messed up. You know, then I'll have to say some words and then ask for some repentance and so for, excuse me, for some forgiveness. And then I'll, I'll have to go in there and fix it and make it right because they didn't do it my way, right? They're my disciples, I taught them. First thing I did is I said, watch me do it. And then I walked with them through it while they did it. And then I said, now you do it. and I'm going to watch. And now, hey, I'm out of town. Let's see if you can do it. Take a picture, whatever. <clears throat> and it works. That's all discipleship is. For some of you, the easiest thing you could do to disciple someone in your life is say, hey, it's Sunday. Let's go to church. I'm going. You want to come? 
It's discipleship, teaching you how to do what Jesus commands us to do. So Matthew 28, go make disciples. Mark 16, here's, what, here's Mark's version of the Great Commission. It says this, and then he, Jesus, told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. So go and make disciples and preach the good news to everyone. What is the good news? Here's the good news, that you need saving, and I need saving, and I can't save you, and you can't save me, but Jesus can. And he does it for free. That's the good news. Aren't you glad? I can't save myself, you can't save yourself, but Jesus saves. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Go and tell someone that there is good news. So go make disciples, share the good news. Luke 24, here's Luke's version. Luke says this, The message will be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. Here's the message that will be proclaimed. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of these things. So go make disciples, share the good news, and let people know there are forgiveness for sins when you turn to God. Very crucial element of the good news. You could almost argue that I'm not really sharing the good news if I don't include this great truth that, hey, your, your sins are forgiven when you turn to God. John 21, it's my favorite. John said it like this. Again, he said, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Are you catching the outward language in all of this? Go, preach, teach, sending. It's not about you. As the Father sent me with authority, he sent me equipped, he sent me prepared to share, so I am sending you. And then Luke wraps this all up in the book of Acts. If you didn't know, uh, the book of Acts and Luke are really two parts to the same book, Luke-Acts. So Luke, he tells the story of Jesus. Acts, he tells, Luke tells the story of how the church was born and how the church started. In a couple weeks, we'll look into some of that there. But in Acts 1.8, he said this, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. I want you to pay attention to that. Telling people about me, not telling people about the 16 things you need to believe to belong to the church, not telling people about how awesome our lights and lasers are, come check us out, not telling people about how funny the preaching is, how good the popcorn is, that there's free coffee. All those things are awesome. Those things are good. But what are we supposed to go tell people about? Him. Be my witnesses telling people about me. I have to go. I have to open my mouth. I have to say something. So we're not called to be terrorists for Jesus, right? It's, it's not just about inviting people. That's important, but it's not just about that. It's not just about inviting someone to a church service so a professional can preach to them. It's so much more than that. It's sharing this good news. It's sharing this truth. It's making disciples in word and in deed because a silent witness is no witness at all, right? You get subpoenaed and you go to court to testify. Good luck sitting up there just serving people glasses of water saying, well, I'm being a good witness because I'm I'm serving you, right? You know, you're going to get held in contempt of court. You have to open your mouth and share what you've seen, what you've experienced. And so let's not complicate that. How do I share what I've seen and what I've experienced? It's, it's intimidating at first, but it's really simple. Here's a 30-second class on how to share Jesus. Here's, here are the questions you have to answer. Who is Jesus? Who were you before you met Jesus? What happened to you when you gave your life to Jesus? What is life like now? Any questions? It's not that complicated. Or even better, just share your story. You know what's awesome about your story? It's your story. Like, you can't get it wrong unless you're a liar, right? 
You can't get it wrong. No one can argue with your story. Hey, my life was like this. I said yes to Jesus, and here's what I'm living like now. Here's the peace I have. Here's the community I have. No one can argue with your story. How do a bunch of misfits change the world? They look outward, and they, look, and they work together. You can't do it by yourself. When we participate in the life of the church, we grow strong. We grow spiritually. That's why we say all the time at one church, the circles are better than rows. That's why we say we can get farther faster when, because we're better together. Those aren't just cliches we put on a poster. We really, really mean it and try to practice it. Proverbs tells us that a three-strand cord is not easily broken. Proverbs tells us that as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Sparks fly when, when that happens, but we know the end result is going to be something powerful. There's power in numbers. We can't accomplish this mission on our own. So we have to start looking outward. We work together. And then here's where we're going to land. We have to serve people. That's the key thing. We have to serve others. There's an old saying that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Servanthood, outreach, reaching out to people. It's not complicated. This is what the early church did. They found the poor among them, and they started pouring into them. And that love they showed to the poor caught the attention of people who weren't doing that. And they wanted to know, why are you giving to people? Why are you helping? And it changed everything. It's not complicated because all of us have someone who needs tangible help. We have someone in our life who really needs to experience the love of God. And so how do you reach the world? You start by reaching your backyard. You start by reaching right where you are. Start with the greatest need. Again, it's not complicated. A lot of us have good intentions, but intention is not a strategy, right? And a strategy is not action. A lot of us say we want to help people, but that's where it ends. We just say it. So just like it's not complicated to share your faith, let me tell you how easy it is to help people. Um, In Clarksville, we have a huge poverty issue, people who are struggling to eat. I get to work with Mana Cafe Ministries on their board of directors, and I see it face-to-face all the time, the need in Clarksville. So there's a need to feed hungry people in our city. It's real. It exists. Not just homeless people, but working people who just struggle to make ends meet, struggle to figure out what to do with their food. So how do we reach them? How do I feed the hungry in my community? I'll give you another 30-second class. Here's how to start a food ministry. You ready? You with me? You guys awake? How to start a food ministry. Find a hungry person. Find some food. Give it to the hungry person. Congratulations. It's that simple. You might say, man, Carlo, you're just being simplistic. No, you're just being extra because you don't want to do the work. You're just being complicated because you know I'm telling you the truth because it feels a lot better to sit and pontificate while eating your food about how we really need to do something to help people. That is so much easier to do than to actually go and just do the work. Find a hungry person, find some food, give them the food. It's not complicated to share your faith, to serve other people. That's how you serve them. Go to them. That's how you serve your school system. Volunteer. Go partner. Don't sit around waiting for the next big idea. Just be the next big idea. And, and we can go in the power of that great commission, John twenty twenty one. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. How did the Father send Jesus? He sent him to serve and to give his life away for many. In the movie Guardians of the Galaxy, we see a sacrifice that really 
captures what Jesus did for us by giving himself up for us to make us better, to make us able. And so many times I think the reason we don't get out, we don't serve, we don't get on this mission is we lose track of the ultimate sacrifice. We lose track of the reason that we are here, the reason that we're in this. So let's watch this scene and see if we can see the sacrifice of Jesus in this. Everybody loves Baby Groot. The end of Guardians of the Galaxy 1, watching Baby Groot dance to Jackson 5 music. The beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, watching Baby Groot run around trying to kill these rats and just being funny and hilarious. But there is no Baby Groot without what? The death of Groot. Serious, heartbreaking sacrifice. When you watch that, for those who watched that movie the first time and didn't know how it ended, like that was a serious punch in the gut. Like, are you kidding me? That's the one who's going to die? Kill the dumb Drax guy. Don't kill Groot, right? That's what Jesus did for us. Service, sacrifice. What's hilarious is the play on this. And listen, I'm not trying to say these were theologians who made this movie, but man, God's truth is universal, right? God's truth is powerful. Groot can only say one thing. I am Groot. And, and it meant whatever, like it was talking normal, but I am Groot. It's what he could say. But in that moment of sacrifice, he says, we are Groot that shift from it's not about me. He laid down everything so that they could go on and accomplish their mission. And man, if that doesn't typify what Jesus did for us, I don't know what did. So service to those in need, service to those that, that have less, 
opening our mouths and sharing this great truth that, man, Jesus does save, it comes from us understanding all that God has done for us. Our mission at One Church is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ by creating environments that make it easy for people to turn to God. We don't mean easy as in it's not going to cost them something. We mean we want to tear down all the superficial walls that people put up from God. And with God's help, that mission is very possible, but it's going to cost something. Those 12 apostles I shared with you earlier, they all paid a price to accomplish this mission, but they went as far east as India. They went as far west as Spain. They went as far south as deep into the Horn of Africa. They traveled all of their known world that they could, and then their disciples multiplied it beyond and beyond. And again, we're sitting here today in Clarksville, Tennessee because of their mission, but it cost them something. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross Bartholomew was flayed alive. alive. James the Elder, he was the first apostle martyred. It's believed he was thrown off the temple, and then they stoned him when he hit the ground. James the Lesser was sawn in pieces. John, the apostle John, the beloved, they tried to stone him, and he didn't die. They boiled him in oil, and he didn't die, so they just sent him to die on this island called Patmos. While he was on that island, though, he was really productive. He wrote a couple letters, one of them called the Book of Revelation, while he was there before he died. We know Judas hung himself. Jude or Thaddeus, he, he was killed with arrows. Uh, Matthew, the tax collector, he was killed in Ethiopia. Peter was crucified upside down. Philip died by hanging. Simon the zealot, he died a violent martyr's death, like a zealot. And Thomas, he was killed by a spear. It cost them something. Aren't you glad you came to church to be encouraged about dying a martyr's death, right? You guys motivated now to go tell people about Jesus? Listen, relax. I'm just saying it'll cost us our comfort to do this mission, but it's worth it to give up our control, to give up our right to be right, to think about others because we'll get to see the greatest reward and that's lives change. So how do we live it out? We don't get bogged down in our own stuff. So we have to pray for eyes to see outsiders. Ask God, show me this week, who needs Jesus in my circle? Who can I help? Just pray for God to open your eyes. It'll change everything. Then take a step towards community. Take a step towards community. That's not just joining a small group. That's truly engaging the communities that you may already be in. Work together. Take your worship and prayer beyond just Sunday. I can't think about my problems when I'm fixated on my God. I can't think about the stress and the drama when I focus on God. So don't just make your singing to God a Sunday environment. Don't just make your act of service to God a Sunday thing. Take it beyond that and then start serving today. Of course, we'd love you to join teams here and serve and volunteer here, but find someone you can. I just gave you two quick classes on how you can share your faith and how you can help people start today. At the end of the day, we're simultaneously a hot mess and we're the hope of the world, but we are better together. And we can be sure of this, that he is with us even until the end of the age. Misfits together accomplish more. Stand with me and let's pray. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the power of your word to save us and change us. If there's a person here, God, who has not yet said yes to you, I pray this would be that day they would say, God, forgive me. I've blown it. I've messed up. I've tried to do it on my own. I've tried to live life on my own. I need you. And God, I thank you as they accept your free gift of grace that you would save them. You would do what only you could do. Help us as the church to be there with them every single step of the way. For those who are here who've been in the church for a long time, but God, they really haven't been on mission. They really have haven't been living their life in a way that they shine to those around them who need you. God, help us today 
not later on this week, but today, let us get busy. Let us start sharing this great truth. More than all that, let us work together in your power. And I thank you, God, for the lives that are going to be changed. Thank you for the privilege of letting us partner with you in this great, great work. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. All right, One Church, God bless you. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Go be the church.